Okay. Welcome back to Novel Idea Podcast with Liz and Athalia. Today we're going to be breaking down the book The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Yeah, and uh, special surprise, we just finished watching the movie as well, so um, we'll be comparing the two. Yeah, we'll see how they each kind of level up to each other and tackle some difficult subjects while still being entertaining, yeah. which is difficult to do. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, so so, how did you how did you feel reading the book? Let's start with the book. How did you feel about it? Well, I mean. As someone who's gone through high school and has dealt with tough things, it was uh, it was kind of tough to make it through. Not because it was hard, but because I've been there. It it's, it dredged up a lot of memories. Yeah, it's hard to put yourself in that moment. It was just a lot of melancholy. I will say that as for the experiences. I feel like a lot of my experiences that kind of mirrored some of these were more collegiate. Yeah. Whereas my high school experience compared to this kid's high school experience was very boring. But the thing is, if I hadn't been in a situation like that, it would have definitely been me too. Because yes. I was there and like, why not, you know? So for those of you who have not read or seen the movie, the movie is relatively similar. We'll get more into that. But the breakdown of the book is... Okay. It is the story of what it's like to grow up in high school. More intimate than diary, Charlie's letters are singular and unique, hilarious and devastating. We may not know where he lives. We may not know to whom he is writing. All we know is the world he shares. Caught between trying to live his life and trying to run from it, puts him on a strange course through uncharted territory. The world of first dates, family dramas, and new friends. The world of sex, drugs, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show where all you need is that perfect song on that perfect drive to feel infinite. I mean, that's kind of, like, not even scratching the surface. That makes it sound a little bit more romantic than yeah. the book. So the book starts off, and it's Charlie, the main character, and he's writing these letters to someone you don't know. It's never named, it's never explained who he's writing the letters to. Just kind of, like, vague references to, like, I know you didn't do what someone said you did, so it's like probably someone he kind of knows. Yeah. You don't really find out in until the end of the book kind of who he is writing to. Right. Um, which he still never names, but he overheard someone talking about this person and how this person didn't do this or that. And so Charlie was like, hey, you seem like a stand-up person, so I'll write, <laughs> I'm gonna write you a letter. I'll write these letters to you because I was told that I needed to write things down. So that is, the book and the movie start off in a similar place where it's Charlie writing a letter. Yeah. And, and the book is entirely written as letters. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely from a standpoint of you don't fully know everything that happens because as we find out, Charlie is repressing a lot of things. So he doesn't really delve into a lot of stuff because he's afraid to. Yeah. Um, he's about to start his first day of high school ever um, anxiety that yeah. poor I mean I feel like every yeah every middle schooler moving into high school knows that feeling yeah um <laughs> he's coming off of um a good friend of his committing suicide um and he was in the hospital for a while he says that he doesn't know how long he was in the hospital for and it's he does mention that he was held back a year yeah. so we're gonna assume that he was after his friend's suicide he was definitely in the hospital for a while 
Um, it's interesting. He talks about that a lot in the in the book, but they don't really talk about that in the, in the movie. Actually, they just yeah. reference that his, his friend, friend shot did himself. kill himself. But in the book, um, we get more details about how that was for Charlie. Um, how the guidance counselor got a group of his friends in the office and were asking, you know, how they felt, and you know, the friends were sad, obviously. But Charlie said he wasn't sad per se. More that he would rather want to know what happened. Yes. You know, he obviously didn't see it coming. You know, he wishes there was a note, but he doesn't understand what what happened. So he was having a lot stronger of, like, a trauma response, and that's the hint that you you as the reader get while reading, but Charlie doesn't even see it within himself that he's having all these traumatic responses. So you as the reader are like, he's obviously having this response because of what happened, but in the book he's like, I just don't understand. Someone explained it to me, and the teachers are like, calm down, Charlie. Yeah, and so I think that was the the start of his breakdown that caused him to have to miss a lot of school. Yeah. And so now he's coming back to school from that, and he needs to write all of his thoughts down. And to be honest... I get that. In the entirety of the book, the thoughts that he's having, like, he had to put that somewhere. <laughs> he did. Like, I don't know how he would manage to, like, survive a day not putting it down somewhere. And that was... Good lord. A thing in the book, too, about halfway through, he starts seeing a psychiatrist in the books where he's explaining more of his life to the psychiatrist. You, as the reader, don't get a lot of details of those meetings, but they don't touch on that in the movie. Yeah. They're just kind of like, oh, no, his parents kind of know he had a meltdown, but we don't really talk about it. It's fine. Yeah. So he starts school. Um, one of the classmates that were called into the guidance counselor's office when he was in middle school when his friend killed himself is also at his high school. And Charlie notes that she's different now. Yeah, and she's pretending to be popular. Yeah, she's pretending to be pretty and stupid so that people like her. And Charlie feels sad that she feels the need to do that. So I think that that is a stronger running theme through the book of him seeing people kind of putting themselves down to try to fit in. And in the movie, you kind of see that where he meets his two new friends that are the big secondary characters in the book and the movie, which is Sam and Patrick. Sam in the movie is played by Emma Watson. Patrick is played by Ezra Miller. So two big names. And I will say Ezra Miller fit the role of Patrick perfectly. I just love him so much. (laughs) Emma Watson's American accent was a little rough. (laughs) She she did a good job. She tried. It was, it was no Tom Holland. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they just let her be British, it would have been a perfect characterization. Yeah, definitely. Could have been something like, oh, we moved from England. Yeah. Yeah, like, you guys weren't actually blood-related, so it totally could have been like... We could have found an excuse. You didn't have to use an American accent. Yeah, my my dad is, or mom is a business person in England. I don't know. Yeah, something. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, so the book starts with him starting high school and kind of realizing that all of his friends have scattered since the death of his main friend and no one really talks to him. And you definitely get the sense more in the book. He's very intelligent. They hint at it in the movie, but in the book, it's like almost outright stated by all his teachers. Even when he says that he doesn't really like math class because he wants to know the why of everything... Once he stops questioning it, he gets A's on everything. That's so me, though. <laughs> to be honest, like, math always came pretty easy to me once I followed the formulas. But when you start to think about, like, okay, so, like, why? how did this person prove this? Why is it that we're taking this as fact? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how do we know that pi is really what it is? Straight up, 
little side anecdote. This is why I almost failed geometry in high school. Because of proofs. I still can't fully explain these to anybody. So I'm sorry if you don't already know what a proof is. But basically it's when you get a geometric formula and you have to prove why it works. And to this day, I probably could not do them. Because... Dude, it's just showing your work. I... I didn't get it. I'm like, why do I have to say that it's a 90 degree angle and then say it's a right angle when it's the same? In my mind, it's the same thing. Why am I writing it over and over and over? This is why we have different personalities because (laughs) that was like, honestly, so easy for me. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'm like so methodical that when people try to, you know, tell me to do things, but then they tell me to do it a different way the next time. I'm like a Vulcan where I'm like, no, but you told me to do this this way the first time. So which one is it? So for me, I was just like, oh, okay. Every single step, I got to write every single thing. That that came easy to me. I hated it. I remember it was the one and only time that my parents, I think it was my mom, had to get called into a parent-teacher <laughs> conference because they were like, homegirl can't do it. She's straight up failing geometry within the first month. <laughs> like, I don't get it. So I totally understand where he came from from that. But where he really thrives, especially in the book, is his English class. This is one, to me, one of the biggest deviations from the book and movie. So in the book, our main character, Charlie, he really bonds with his English teacher and his English teacher gives him all these like extra books to read and gives him like extra homework. And it's mentioned in the book that on his essays, his teacher will grade him and he'll give him like a C or a D. But for the overall actual class grade, he gives him A's because he knows that he's far more intelligent, but he wants him to push himself. So privately, he's like, this would be an A if I'm just grading you on a normal basis, but because I know you can do better, I'm giving you a C. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And in the movie, the teacher played by Paul Rudd, mm-hmm. Ant-Man. Yeah. Yeah, he played kind of just like a background role. Like, a, like I'm a teacher. Here's an extra book to read, but it wasn't delved into. Yeah, his teacher in the book... Called, he called him by his first name, so that kind of shows you how close they were. In the book, he was just Mr. Anderson. Or yeah. in the movie, he was Mr. Anderson. But in the book, uh, Charlie felt close enough to actually have in-depth personal conversations like, with him. It was the teacher telling Charlie. He was like, oh, yeah, me and my girlfriend, we're no longer together. Yeah. And Charlie's like, whoa. And the teacher's like, I probably shouldn't be telling you all this personal stuff. Yeah. But that was how, in the book especially... He was seen by everyone almost like an adult. Mm-hmm. Like, he was so smart and he was so... He was very quiet and kind of watched everybody. Hence the wallflower title of the book. Because he did. He stood in the background. He watched everything around him happening. And that was something in the book where it's like it's detailed. It's how much he takes in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that would be a hard thing to portray in a movie. But that's what he does in the book. He just watches. Yeah. Which sometimes... Puts him in a bad situation. Um, his yeah. sister, Candace, is dating a guy who his dad calls a pussy, which is not cool <laughs> at all. But he he might be kind of a pushover, but I mean, he's in high school, you know what I mean? Um, so there's a situation where Candace is really kind of laying into her boyfriend, Derek, because he's not standing up for himself, pretty much. And then Derek, the boyfriend, slaps 
Candace. Yeah. And then Candace just shuts right up, and then Charlie's there, and she's like, don't tell mom and dad, Charlie. Don't and tell anybody. It's our little secret. So this was another thing, was that in the book, Charlie sees Candace get hit. So that's, like, another big theme of the book, is that Charlie is always witness to these almost, like, really terrifying moments. Um, he kind of flashes back to being younger when his older brother threw a house party and he was in this bedroom when this couple came in and he watched a sexual assault happen in front of him and his sister came in and shooed the couple out and then called him a pervert for watching. Yeah, she, she was like, like, why are they in here? And he, Charlie's like, well, they, they asked if it was okay and I said, you know, why not? He's like a kid. He was a child yeah. on Mystic Place. Yeah, and these high school students... Shouldn't be doing stuff in front of a child anyway. Yeah. So not really to blame. But then his sister's like, pervert. Like, <laughs> you know who I am as a kid. Of course I wouldn't say anything. What am I supposed to do? So of course when it's like book versus movie, movies are going to be a lot more surface level. So in the book, you definitely get a lot more background on his sister. And his sister is, you know, mean to him as most older siblings, you know, if they have a much younger sibling. They're not going to be like, we're best friends. But she's almost, like, extra mean to him. What I think is really tough is that Candace struggles with wanting to be a strong feminist, a strong woman, but also is warring from the side of herself that still wants to be seen as pretty and cute and womanly and Wants girly. to be adored. Exactly. And so, in her mind, it's like those two things can't match. She's constantly getting in arguments with her parents her brother about what women should do, what women shouldn't do, yeah. what, you know, how society views them. But then she lets this guy slap her and she's okay with it. And I think because they, she thinks it was her fault. And I think they tie it in a lot in the beginning of the book. So one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the book was that the parents definitely get a lot more description, obviously. And so Charlie's family it's his mom, dad. He has an older brother who eventually goes off to college. So when this book takes place, his brother isn't in the household. And then he has his older sister, who's the middle child, and then him. And when he was growing up, their Aunt Helen came to live with them, which is his sister's mom. And we find out a lot more about her as the book progresses. And you find out that she's a lot of the root of Charlie's um, trauma. But... She was very depressed. She had been molested as a child and she was always in and out of abusive relationships. And finally she got um, psychiatric help and she came to live with them while she was dealing with her issues. But there was a part where Charlie kept asking her. Yeah, it says, when I was around seven, I stopped asking what had happened to her because I kept asking like little kids always do. And my Aunt Helen started crying very hard. That's when my dad slapped me saying, you're hurting your Aunt Helen's feelings. I didn't want to do that, so I stopped. Aunt Helen told my father not to hit me in front of her ever again, and my father said this was his house, and he would do what he wanted, and my mom was quiet, and so were my brother and sister. And so he does mention later that that was the one and only time his dad slapped him, but I think that sets the tone for the parents, where it's like his, his dad is the head of the household. The man is the head. What he says goes. His mother's not allowed to override his father. So I think his sister struggles with that, like, I'm a feminist and I want to be a feminist, but how I was raised was that the man has the last say. Yeah. And yeah, his mom, um, 
doesn't didn't stand up for him either. So yeah. what's Candace supposed to do? And know? that was another thing where it was it wasn't until much later that my mom had a few glasses of white wine and told me what happened to her sister. Some people really do have it a lot worse than I do. They really do. Yeah. And so I think it's one of those other themes where it's like his mom doesn't really open up unless she's in a vulnerable spot. Yeah. So it puts him in this place of like, okay, women need to be protected. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just really tough subject matter anyway. So when he was younger, you know, maybe it wasn't the time for him to, to hear that. Mm-hmm. So. And it, it does suck that the way he found out was when his mom was basically drunk. Yeah. And I mean... His, his aunt Ellen ended up passing, so at that point, there's really nothing much to do because she's already dead, yeah. right? So just, I, it just seemed like an overreaction of his dad, but I can understand. And so it, it flashes back and forth a lot with Charlie where he's going, he's trying to go about his first year of high school. He has this bond with an English teacher. He's a lot smarter than his peers. But when you start the book, really all you know is that he was really close with his aunt Helen but his Aunt Helen died in, like, an accident. And so you think his trauma is mainly just that he lost this person who was so close to him, and he kind of goes over and over of, like, I'm so sad that Aunt Helen is dead. I loved her. She was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And then we find out the horrible truth much later in the book, and it's very sad. Yeah, so um, Charlie ends up getting super close with his teacher, Bill, and he ends up kind of confiding in him what he saw happen between his sister and her boyfriend. And, you know, he was like, you know, why, why would someone put up with that? Why would someone let themselves to be in a situation like that? And as teacher says, you know, some people accept the love they think they deserve. Yeah. Which I mean, it's close to home. That is a gem. But, um, and so Bill, you know, being a freaking responsible adult, (laughs) Ends up calling Charlie's parents, who in turn have a have a kind of conversation with Candace about like basically what the heck is wrong with you? Why are you with a guy that treats you like that? So yeah. Candace understandably is freaking out. She doesn't understand what the big deal is. You know, she loves the guy. She screams. You know, he's my whole world. And her mom is like, "Don't you ever say that about anyone? Not even me." Which I think is pretty great. You know, his mom wasn't able to stand up for him when he got slapped by his dad. Yeah. But she was not going to let her daughter ever feel that some person was her whole entire world. And I, I think it touches on, like, you know, how you were, you definitely get more background on the mom as well and how she was raised. And so there's that, that feeling that the parents, they know their faults within the book. And they don't want their children to have those faults. I think... And she saw what her sister went through. Exactly. And I think at some point, you pick your battles, right? And maybe that wasn't her battle to fight, to be Mm -hmm. like, hey, don't slap my son. But that right there, that's like a a road to destruction. (laughs) Once you start putting some jerk on a pedestal like that, he's your whole world. And it's so hard in high school not to do that because you're so, like, I know from my experience. Everything's in, like, a greenhouse, right? Everything's just there all the time. You see this person all the time. And, you know, as a high schooler, I hated when people said this, but now as an adult, I can say this. You are so hormonal as a teenager Mm -hmm. that it literally does feel like your first love is going to be your only love. Yeah, you don't think that you're ever going to get a chance. You can't even imagine what college is going to be like because this is all you've known for four years. And 
I, I think definitely we're trending away from this, which I'm grateful for. But there is, there was definitely when I was in high school, that stigma of like, if you're not married by 21, you somehow fail. Yeah, thank God people have social media so they can see what life is like beyond their small town. Yeah. There, there, there are pros and cons. Pros and cons. Yeah. Pros and cons. All I'm saying is, man, I'm glad I didn't have access to all that when I was a kid. I would have been like like a million times more insecure. <laughs> like there's definitely no black and white of how you should live your life. Like if you get married at 21, good for you. But I think definitely there was a certain point in time where it was like, that's what you had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you went to college to find a husband. Sure. And it is much and much more recently moving away from that. But I think during this book, it still takes... It's in the 90s. Yeah. yeah it takes time in a place where she was like trying to be a feminist, but also... I'm sure there was still that strong, like, okay, but if I'm not with the love of my life by the time I'm 18, then I've done something wrong. I mean, to be honest, um, she was really freaking smart. She was the salutatorian. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's still a child. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. She is really smart. But, like, you know, there's a difference between, like, book smart and, like, just common sense. Common sense. Yeah. yeah. Street smarts. Anyway, so Charlie... Takes a shot class, and that's where he meets Patrick, a.k.a. nothing. And this was another deviation from the movie, Mm -hmm. where in the book, Patrick is kind of like the class clown. In the movie, they make it seem like he had to take this freshman shop class. But in the book, they don't really talk about that. Yeah, people can take shop classes as a senior. Some people do that because they're like, I have nothing else to take. And... Patrick is like the class clown, but in the book, the teacher plays along with him. He thinks he's funny too. In the movie, the teacher is much more of like this um, straight-laced kind of... Like a grieved teacher. Like, oh God. And like, almost like hyper-masculine. So Patrick, who is out and gay in high school... In the 90s! So in the movie, it's portrayed more as like anybody who's hyper-masculine in the movie is very against him. Sure. And you know, the thing is about movies, you gotta get an idea across fast. Yeah. So you gotta you can't really fault them for that. But so in the in the book, yes, Charlie meets Patrick, who also goes by nothing because that's what all the popular kids call him, because he made a comment one time where someone gave him a mean nickname and he said, Call me Patrick or call me nothing. They were calling him faggot. Yeah. So he's like Call me Patrick or call me nothing. And so they're like, okay, nothing. Okay, nothing. Well, that's still better <laughs> than the alternative. Okay, well, I'd rather you call me nothing, literally. Yeah. And so for for a little bit in the book, Charlie does say, well, I guess I'm going to call him nothing, but I'm going to remove the quotation marks because that's confusing. Yeah, so he... But eventually calls him Patrick. Yeah, he has an encounter with Patrick in, in shot class. Um, and then he, Charlie decides to go to a football game. Which is interesting. Which is brought on by his teacher telling him he should participate. Exactly. Which, I have qualms about that. My thing is, like, it's a it's apparent that Bill knows what's gone on in his life, right? Yeah. And so I think it's just strange that he's like, you should participate. It's like, dude, I'm like... I'm trying. I'm My dealing, friend just killed himself. I know, I'm dealing with some repressed things. I'm coming off of a hospital visit yeah. okay so and for right now in the book the only reason for the hospital visit was the fact that his friend killed himself again we find out more later but for right now as far as anyone knows it's just because his friend killed himself yeah. so he decides to go to the football game to participate and he comments on charlie comments on how he would go with his friend michael yeah um and so 
he, Charlie's like, I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing here because I would come here with my friend and now I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do, you know? But he notices Patrick and he also notices, which is a little foreshadowing of what's to come, that Patrick is almost too into the football game. Yeah. Like, very energetic, cheering on the star football player, Brad. Yeah, like, he knows, understands everything about football. Cheering, yelling, screaming, everything. And he's just like, Patrick didn't strike me as someone who would be involved in anything school-related. The thing is, though, again, gay people can be into whatever, okay? There's no box about what gay people should be like. And Charlie does have a lot of those same, like, stereotypes in his mind. So you're reading this book from, um... A person who lives with these stereotypes. Of course. Again, 90s. Yeah. Sure. So he's just like, how can a gay guy like football? Yeah, so he runs into Patrick. He's like, hey, you're in my shop class, blah, blah, blah. And so then he takes a seat next to Patrick. And that's when we meet Patrick's stepsister, Sam. Sam. Yeah. So their parents got married and they're pretty much really good friends as well, which is like... You never hear about step-siblings getting along as well as Patrick and Sam. It's, like, crazy. It's adorable. It's really crazy. And it is one of the things I liked about the movie, too. They were really cute in the movie. Yeah, so they get to chatting at the football game, and then um, Sam and Patrick invite Charlie to Big Boys, which is, like, a diner um, in town. So they go there after the football game and just hot goss about things. And and this is where another deviation really happens, where in the book, um, they talk a lot about music and they bond over their love of music and things like that. But in the movie, it's kind of hinted that Charlie's faking kind of knowing about music and they have to kind of teach him where I think this is where we start to see the intelligence deviation where in the book, it's just straight up that everyone recognizes that Charlie is super smart. Mm -hmm. In the movie, it's one of those things where they think he's like little kid smart, mm-hmm. but it's not like, oh my God, you're hyper intelligent. Yeah. Just kind of like, okay, so he was in the room and he picked up this thing. And so that's how he knows that instead right. of like, he's actually thought about it, which I thought was great in the book because when they're here in big boys, they, Sam and Patrick ask him like actual questions, like legitimate yeah. questions that no one's ever asked him before, mm-hmm. which is like super great they asked him what his favorite book was and it was the last book that he read from bill's class and they're like why he's like it's the last book i read (laughs) that's why it's my favorite book because it's the last one i read you know the one i remember the most and he's very like if someone asks him a question in the book he has to give an honest answer he's very much against lying which again is kind of hinted at in the movie but it's not like a huge part of his character the thing is he thinks very thoroughly about everything and very literally yeah and so I can understand how it would be hard to come up with a white lie because in your mind, you know that all you really know how to do is be honest. You don't even know what a lie would sound like. And just to say, there are a few moments later in the book where he gets kind of caught in some lies and he's trying to think of white lies and it's just him panicking. And it's yeah, really luckily, he, the lie that he might tell is like so like minute that no one notices or someone else helps him out. Yeah. So that was really nice. And so he, he starts this friendship with Sam and Patrick and he kind of gets brought into their world of they go to these different parties and this is where I will say... I am not a mother by any stretch of the imagination, but... You have a cat. 
I do have a cat who's basically my child. She is a baby. She's yeah. she is equivalent to a toddler sometimes of just pure chaos. Yeah, like you know, I'd like to be able to relax, but I guess I'll clean up your poop. And uh, she definitely <laughs> is like, I'm awake, so why aren't you? Yeah, so time to play, mom. Time yeah, to play. What are your hands doing? Because they're not touching me. <laughs> but there were certain parts reading this book as an adult where I'm like, you're only fifteen. No. Yeah. So I yeah they take him to his like first big party at this kid named Bob's, who is an adult, by the way. Yeah, full-grown in college. And that's a part of this book and the movie where I'm like, there's a lot of college-aged people who are, like, in their 20s dating and hanging out with high schoolers. And I'm like, Let me tell you this, okay? When I was in high school, I couldn't stand anyone. I couldn't get out fast enough. You couldn't pay me as an adult to get back in there. I swear, if someone invited me to my high school's prom as an adult, I would literally burst into flames. Probably. <laughs> I could, like, I I couldn't even step foot on the campus without, like, hyperventilating, probably. I can't fathom me at 21 having mm. any desire Mm-mm. to hang out with a 17-year-old. I got tired of my own high school stories, okay? I don't need to hear it from someone else, man. I just, I can't. Like, I will say, it's a little bit overlapped with um, that movie Scott Pilgrim vs. Oh, the World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Scott Pilgrim is, like, 21. Oh, my God. Dating a 17-year-old, yeah. and he's like, we held hands once, but she got shy. And it's like, she's a child. But the difference is, in that movie, all his friends are like, this isn't real. You're dating a high schooler. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, like, that's not cool at all. It's nothing to brag about. That's weird and creepy. And I appreciated them calling him out on that. Yeah, so Charlie goes to his first party, um, hanging out with people. Good for you, Charlie, because I never went to a party as a high schooler. Well, he seems like a very he's participating but very passively very pat in the book and the movie he is a very passive voice and what's interesting everything I happens can, to him i could i can definitely relate because this is how it was for me when i was in college where it's kind of like okay if it was a really big bad problem you would say something if it was like if it ended up being good that's great too right like, but it was like evenly in the middle it wasn't too much of a risk and it wasn't like it was no skin off your back Right. right? So it's like, why not? What else am I doing? It's like, I think when I when I got into college and I was in situations like that, there was that little part of my voice that was like, this is probably not the smartest thing to be doing, but I ain't got nothing else to do. Yeah, what else <laughs> am I going to do? Play The Sims again? Yeah. Oh, The Sims. So at this party... Where parties have no risk. Yeah. Bob gives Charlie a pot brownie. Yes. And Charlie... Just makes mention in the book. He's just like, it tasted kind of funny, but I was hungry. Yeah, it's like, it was a brownie. So, I mean, Sam and Patrick didn't take me to big boys. So. And this is where in the movie, his friends find out that he has no friends. But in the book, it doesn't really dive into that too much. It's just him being stoned. And this is where we find out that Patrick and Brad the star football player, are actually in a romantic relationship. Yeah, Charlie's like, I need to go to the bathroom and, like, de-stone myself, maybe. And yeah. so he opens the wrong door. He's also having a minor identity crisis. <laughs> sure. And so then he sees Patrick and Brad making out, and Brad's like, who's this kid? And Patrick's like, he's cool. It's cool, 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 cool. It's cool. 
And so Patrick kind of has a heart to heart, like, hey, he doesn't want people to know. You can't tell anybody. Right. And Charlie's like, okay. Okay. And Patrick's like, are you stoned? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very high. But I won't tell anybody. Whatever. And this is where... So in the book, it didn't feel that cheesy, but it plays out almost exactly like it in the movie, which I thought was a little cheesy. So in the book, they do a cheers of like, cheers to Charlie, our new friend. And they do it in the movie too, but in the movie... It was very forced. It was like, cheers to Charlie. You watch things, you see things. You're a wallflower. You understand. Like... But you don't think anything. It felt a little contrived in the movie, but I understand they pulled it from the book. But somehow in the book, it felt a little more natural. Maybe because we can fake imagine it. So, was this the party where Charlie was talking about that situation with the party at his house when he was a kid? And then he was talking yeah. to... Um, I think he was stoned and he was talking to Sam about it, about the situation yeah. um, at the party at his house when he was younger and the couple was doing stuff in his room. And when he was a kid... The guy kept asking the chick to do stuff, and she kept saying no, but then she kept doing it, but then she was crying while she was doing it, and he didn't really understand. But I think when he was telling Sam about it, he was like, she was raped, wasn't she? And Sam was like, yeah. 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 And so this leads them into going into homecoming together, where he sees the guy who was at that party who sexually assaulted that girl. Yeah. And... It's interesting, too, because Sam's like, I dated that guy. Yeah. And it's almost like, dude, like, Charlie, put it together. There are some there's some hints towards Sam's darker background yeah. as well. And so he wants to, like, beat this guy up. But Sam and Patrick are like, no, no, no. And so he's like, so I satisfied myself with slashing his tires. What's interesting, too, is that... Um, Sam kind of alludes to her past, you know, how she got drunk all the time and partied all the time. Yeah. Um, and Charlie asks his sister about it. And his sister, which again, I understand that it's very hard to kind of pick a stance, but it's almost like she's she's hopscotching between being a feminist and being basically everything that's against a woman. She's a very... I, I think how I kind of related to her character was that she was a very high school feminist. Oh, yeah. Where you take this, like, hard stance on everything, and if a woman doesn't fit into your view of feminism, then she's the enemy, even though feminism is supposed to be about lifting all women up, no matter what circumstances they've been in. Yeah, so Charlie's talking about Sam to his sister, and Candace is like, oh, yeah. She's a slut. Yeah, she was a slut, blah, 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 blah. And it's... Candace is a lot meaner in the book. Yeah, which, again, like... (laughs) She doesn't really make a big appearance in the movie. Like, she's in it, and it's, you know, her relationship with her abusive boyfriend. But in the book, it's a lot. Yeah. Her sister, or his sister is, uh, she's dealing with her own stuff. Yeah. Which, again... So, we we find out that when he goes to homecoming, he sees that his older sister is also still with her abusive boyfriend, but now they're sneaking around. And that's another thing that's kind of... It's a lot more in the book where he's like, I have to keep this a secret now because after I told on her the first time, she told me she hated me. Yeah. And he was like, when she told him she hated him when his parents found out about the abuse, he was like, I could tell she meant it. Yeah, like she said she hated her dad, but she didn't mean that. When she told me she hated me, she meant that. She hates me. I need 
needed to check to make sure I wasn't going to be smothered that night. Right? <laughs> like, I had a knife under my pillow to protect myself because yeah. my sister would have balls to the wall murdered yeah. me. But it was kind of super cool that uh, they helped Charlie put air out of his tires. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, so then you do also get introduced to a lot of more of the circle. So the other main players are Mary Elizabeth and Alice. Alice, who in the book doesn't really have a part. She's just kind of there. In the movie, they gave her this characterization of a rich girl who likes the steel jeans. I mean, why not? Okay. We needed to give her something. Yeah. So she's the thief. She's the rich thief. She's the klepto. She's the rich thief. Got Mary it. Elizabeth was a punk Buddhist. Yes, which I think she was. vegetarian. She was in the book as well. Yes. And I think her character was done really well in both. Mm -hmm. Where she was definitely the idealistic high schooler of like, oh, when I get to get to college, I'm going to have a lesbian phase. and I'm going to study women's lit. And I'm going to watch art films and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to have deep discussions with people who understand me. But not being able to have a deep discussion anyway. Yeah, because she doesn't let anyone get anything in edgewise. She's very surface level, and I love that about her, because I definitely went through that phase in college. Yeah. I think a lot of these, to me, it makes me laugh, because I didn't hit any of these phases in high school, but freshman to, like, late sophomore of college, this was all my phase of, like, I'm gonna find myself, I'm gonna get a mohawk Listen, and a piercing. If I could tell myself at that age, like, girl... <laughs> You're going to be 29 and still not know what the hell is going on. And so it, don't be, don't feel bad, girl. You're going to be lost forever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it really doesn't. And again, reading this book, I'm just like, all these fleeting moments that you obsess over mean nothing. Uh, like you're going to get out of high school. You cried yourself to sleep over what? You don't remember why? Crazy. Hormones are a hell of a thing. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So then it comes to Thanksgiving, where, um... This is a big part in the book. We discover Charlie's family. Yeah, they didn't do Thanksgiving at, at all. At, they didn't movie. do any of his extra family. family. Yeah. So, for Thanksgiving, they see his... Mom's Mom's family. Because the grandpa, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mom's family. So, find out that his grandpa is super racist and was abusive as well very abusive and he led to a lot of aunt helen's problems where i guess his charlie's mom had failed some classes no, they both did yeah and so charlie's grandpa went to their room when they were little and just beat them yeah and said this won't ever happen again so charlie knows this and charlie has this idea of like so this is why his mom is very reserved and really wanting to be perfect, whereas Aunt Helen went the other route and just started acting out and getting into all these abusive relationships because she thought that was what love was. Yeah. And so this old guy, super racist, Ugh. talks about stuff that no one wants to hear about. And, the thing and he knows that no one wants to yeah. hear him say all this stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, the only person that can kind of calm him down and get him to, like, you know, be cool is Charlie's older brother. So let's talk about Charlie's older brother, because yeah. we, we haven't really hit on him too much, but he definitely plays a big part in the book. Charlie's older brother is in college at the moment. I forgot his name. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I was trying to look Pause. up. Chris, yes. Chris. Okay, so Charlie has his oldest brother, Chris. Chris is like a football star. 
And so he's the only one who can call Grandpa, <sighs> calm his, their grandfather down because of his status of being, he's in college, he's going to succeed in life. Um, it is kind of mentioned through the book that their family isn't super rich, so they can't really afford to send their kids to college. So when Chris got this scholarship to play football in college, his parents and his whole family were super proud because mm -hmm. it was like, you're going to make something of yourself. You're going to become a millionaire football player. And so grandpa is a little more doting. But it oh, is. Oh, yeah. He's, like, insanely proud. Yeah. He's, and he won't say anything. Like, that's something that grandpa and Charlie's dad have in common, where Charlie's dad refuses to show emotion. Mm -hmm. He, like, cried once and Charlie caught him. And then his dad was like, okay, bizarre little secret. Don't tell anybody. Champ. Champ. That's a big thing. Champ. Yeah. Okay. Jump, jump. Yeah. Edit that out. I don't think they'll get that. Yeah. It's no, a joke. Or here's a who. Anybody. <laughs> Anyway, and so they gather around to watch his brother play football yeah. for this college. So this is a moment where the chaotic family is, like, united for once. Yeah. Um, and so then after the game, they're eating dinner, and everyone's saying what they're thankful for. And Charlie's like, I'm thankful that my brother played on TV because for once, no one fought with each other. And it was, like, super silent. And then uh, their grandfather's sister so his great aunt was like yeah amen to that amen yeah because charlie went through the rundown of what happens every thanksgiving the grandpa gets super drunk super mean gets super mean to his sister who then locks herself in the bathroom but then all the other cousins who are drinking also have to use the bathroom and so they have to try to get the aunt out of the bathroom but it doesn't work and so people because are like, as soon as they get her out of the bathroom grandpa says something mean again that sends her back to the bathroom yep. so he says that every thanksgiving all his cousins are outside peeing on the bushes yeah because this chick's like in the bathroom because she won't let anybody in so super dysfunctional yeah and, and then during all of this Charlie's dad doesn't say anything. He yeah. never says anything. He's like, anything. it's not my family. It's not my problem. Doesn't step in. Doesn't say anything. It's not my dad. It's not my aunt. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also kind of like, I, I, I understand that, but it's interesting what points people want to make and what points they don't. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like, he's the man of the house when it's his family, but then he respects the racist, mean grandpa because he's the man of the house and it's his family. And also, the thing is... Sure, maybe Charlie's question about what happened to his aunt was inappropriate, but it should be up to his aunt to say, hey, please don't ask me that. Yeah. When I feel comfortable, I'll talk to you about it. You don't get to take it upon yourself to be, like, the holder of all of that information and slap me. You yeah. I mean, I think that that was kind of, like, not really his place. So there are definitely all these, like, just very dysfunctional family moments and that that really builds the world around Charlie and you really get a sense of why he is the way he is because he he really does see all these people in his life who have been abused in some way or the other and all the people who kind of take like a passive seat to seeing all of it yeah and not willing to intervene and not willing to say anything so then we jump into the Christmas season and there's a secret Santa and this is where him and the group, they kind of realize how much Charlie has been viewing them because it's just supposed to be, you know, everybody gets everybody one gift. Yeah. 
whoever you got a secret Santa, you get them the thing. So he's been getting um, socks and what? slacks and a belt and a shirt. And so he's really disappointed. He's like, what the heck are doodles is this? Yeah. But he ends up getting Patrick uh, for Secret Santa. And he gets him some really good gifts. And it's like, it's not, okay, so it's not just one gift. It's like gifts leading up to Secret Santa, but they're like small gifts. Mm-hmm. So he gets him um, the Harvey Milk story. Mm-hmm. He gets him poem mark, uh, magnets. Poem magnets. And a harmonica. Harmonica. <laughs> and oh, a watercolor set, too. And a watercolor set. And he's like, and in the book, definitely, it, it's, you can see his thought process where Charlie wants to get people these things that mean a lot to him, and it's like he's giving a little bit of himself to his friends. Yeah, he's like, I'm getting this because I honestly believe that you would find enjoyment out of this. And so... At the actual Christmas party, he finds out that Patrick is the one who is getting him all the clothing because Patrick tells him, you're going to be a writer and a writer needs a good look. Yeah, every every writer wears a suit. And around this time, too, it is mentioned that Charlie is a little bit more emotional because Christmas Eve is Charlie's birthday. And this was the day that his Aunt Helen died. His Aunt Helen was in a horrible accident. And so it is a lot more through the book that he mentions her and kind of promises her that he won't be as emotional because he cries a lot and a lot of things upset him and it's really sad. But so then at this, you know, secret Santa, he also got everybody else in their group gifts as well. And they were all super personal and everybody kind of realized how much Charlie has been watching them and paying attention to their lives Mm -hmm. And they were like, none of us got you anything. Yeah, it was really cute. He got Bob Bubbles. Yeah, Bob is their stoner friend who throws the parties, and Charlie was like, I bet he would like Bubbles. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, he freaking loved it. And so that was a funny moment in the movie, too, where he gives him the Bubbles, and Bob is just blowing him. He's like, he gets me. He really gets me. Oh, uh, he gave Alice an Anne Rice book because she liked Anne Rice. Oh, yeah, and that, that was, in the movie, he just made mention that she liked vampires. Oh, yeah, and he gave Mary Elizabeth $40 to use color on her punk theme. So that that's another moment in his life that we, we should break up. So his group of friends that he's now made, they put on this show of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And Mary Elizabeth is kind of the one running it, and she runs a zine. Called Punk Rocky. Punk Rocky. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah. So he gives her money to print it in color. And... He, so he gives Alice the Anne Rice book. Yeah. He gives Bob the Bubbles. Yeah, he gives Sam a 45 of a record that he used to listen to all the time as a kid that his Aunt Helen gave him. Right. Yeah. And then he gives Patrick the poem, right? Yes, he recites the poem. Right. So this is not in the movie whatsoever. And I kind of understand because it's uh, it made me cry a little bit. Yeah, so he recites this poem and he's like hey if you know the writer if you know interrupt me let me know it's a pretty pretty long poem and by the time it's done everybody didn't know who wrote it but bob said he had heard it before and he heard that it was some kid's suicide note so it's kind of hinted that this was michael's suicide note yeah which i would like to think that it was that it would kind of give closure on that, but we're never confirmed or denied. So if it was another kid's suicide note, it might have been. The only reason I think it might not have been Michael's suicide note is that Michael shot himself. Mm-hmm. And in the poem, the character um, slashes his wrists. Yeah. The thing is, though, 
but it's all subjective. It's like you, it's a pretty long poem, honestly. Yeah. And it, it's kind of this poem about a kid who starts off in like a happy family, but then it's like the family deteriorates and he deteriorates and eventually he doesn't have any love in his life from his family or friends. And so he offs himself. The thing is, I think that it could be Michael's is because Charlie is really good at repressing stuff. Yeah. So he might be like, I heard this somewhere. I don't know where. Right? I <laughs> heard it. But, you know, tell me if you've heard it some before. And so at this point, everybody kind of leaves. So everybody's gone for the holidays. Yeah. Sam and Patrick go to the Grand Canyon with their family. And so um, Charlie is kind of left alone, friendless for the, the Christmas break. And this is, again, where in the book you see the relationship between him and Bill where Bill has been giving him books throughout this entire story. Like he, uh, his teacher, Bill gives him extra books to read. And right now during Christmas break, he's reading Catcher in the Rye. And he made mention that he doesn't really super enjoy the book, but he keeps reading it because with his friends gone and around this time, he has a lot of repression going on. It's his own mind that he doesn't really recognize and so him just rereading it over and over and over is him trying to distract himself. Yeah, he can he can see that his thoughts are going towards the not so good stuff that he doesn't want to deal think with. About, yeah. Um so he's trying really hard to let get himself to not think. Because not only is Christmas Eve his birthday, but it's the day his his aunt died, his aunt that he loved so much. And he makes mention of now we're, we're visiting the Ohio relatives, which is his dad's family. Mm -hmm. And they're watching It's a Wonderful Life. <sighs> and how he wishes that the movie was more about Uncle Billy. So if you've never seen a wonderful, It's I've a Wonderful Life. I've never seen it. Okay, so in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey is the main character. Okay. And you see his life growing up. He marries his wife. Um, they move into this kind of like falling down house and they fix it up. They have a bunch of kids and they run a bank and cause it was passed down from his father to him. So he never got to travel. He never got to go to school because he had to run the bank for the family. So his younger brother could go to school. Okay. Dang, that sucks. Yeah. But what ends up happening is they were going to turn in a deposit for the bank. So like everybody's money. Mm -hmm. That's like, Rent or something. I don't know. I don't really know how banks work, so wow, I can't explain. Wonderful description. <laughs> anyway, so there's all this money that they give to George's Uncle Bailey, mm -hmm. and the uncle takes the money, but he loses it. Mm -hmm. And the evil person, the evil man of the movie, takes the money. Oh. And so then there's this panic, and everybody's trying to pull their money out of the bank, but they don't have any money now. Yeah. Oh. There's no money in the bank. Yeah. And. So the whole plot is, like, the police are going to come take him away. Like, basically, the, the evil guy is trying to frame him for defrauding people and stealing their money. Which, you know, it does look like that. Yeah, looks like that. So he goes to a bridge, and he's like, I'm going to kill myself. Well, Heaven's been watching the entire time. Mm -hmm. So they send down Clarence the angel. And Clarence doesn't have his wings yet. He's not a full angel, but he's trying to get his wings. Yeah, I mean, how did he get down from Heaven without his wings? But, you know, whatever. <laughs> It's a whole plot thing. Watch the movie. Anyway, so he takes George Bailey 
on a trip and shows him what life would have been like if George Bailey had never been born. So it's like his brother would have died in the war and the woman he married would have become an old maid, even though in the movie she's only like 22 and she works at a library. But hey, it's like, you're an old maid because <laughs> you're not married anymore. You old, old maid. But they talk about that in the book too, where the sister always goes on a rant of how like, oh, why is she's she a- just an independent woman? Why is she a spinster? And everyone's like, shut up, Candace. We're just going to watch the movie, Candace. Yeah, shut up. But so Charlie makes mention that he wishes the movie, instead of being about George Bailey, who's already a good person, that it could have been about Uncle Billy, who kind of had his demons too, and he wishes that they could have seen it from his side, and maybe the angels could have helped him out. To be honest, you think about that, and you're like, your life was easy because of this guy's suffering. Yeah. He didn't get to do what he wanted to do because he was doing everything for you. Well, no, that's the younger brother. So George Bailey is the main character. He takes over the dad's business. His uncle, Billy... Yeah, Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy did all that stuff for him to be able to do what he wanted to do, right? No, Uncle Billy just worked for him. Oh, never mind. But he he was the one who lost the money. Mm. The evil guy took the money from Uncle Billy mm-hmm. through, like, a roundabout thing of events. <laughs> but so Charlie is saying that he wishes the movie would have been about this side character and it's just another way that you as the reader kind of see Charlie's empathetic side mm-hmm. of like, I see all the good you already have. I don't need the movie to be about you. I want to see about this kind of loner, loser side character. Yeah, like, this is predictable. Let's <laughs> talk about this guy. Let's fix his life. How about that? So coming off of this family thing in Ohio, um... It goes to Charlie, Candace, and his mom going to the mall to do Christmas shopping. And so Charlie's still on the the edge of, like... A mental breakdown. Yeah, about to have a mental breakdown because of what this time of year kind of represents for him. And so they're at the mall trying to get gifts for the family. Um, Candace is on her, uh, her own thing because she's still secretly dating Derek. She wants to get a present for Derek, but she can't do it while her mom's there. And so she's trying to get Charlie to just, like, hurry the heck up and get gifts for everybody. But so she can come back later. Yeah, but Charlie being Charlie is, like, really obsessing over what to get his dad. He's very obsessive in his lines of thinking. Sure. So, like, once he has an idea, he has to see it completely through. He can't lie to himself or get something cheap or get something that doesn't mean anything. So he's trying to find the perfect gift for his dad. Because the thing is, of course, your parents will like anything, but... You wouldn't feel good knowing that you didn't get the best thing that you could get. So finally, he gets his dad some old VHS copies of the show MASH. The last episode or Because that was, the last episode of MASH was the episode where he caught his dad crying in the kitchen over, which is, did you ever see the last episode of MASH? No. Never watched a single episode. Okay, well, it's actually a good show. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not. But the last episode, just so you have, and everybody out there has context. Spoiler. (laughs) Spoilers, if you haven't seen this old show. It's still in black and white. (laughs) Okay, so it's about the, yes. Okay, so MASH takes place during the Korean War. And, you know, it's their trials and tribulations. So the last episode, the main character who, he's one of the surgeons, and the show for a war show, like, there are some really heart-wrenching moments, but a lot of it is kind of funny, mm-hmm. and it's like, 
you know, it's sitcom-y. It's sure. kind of sitcom-y during a war. Which... I mean, for it to be on TV at that time, it had to be. Yeah. The last episode is one of the hardest to get through. So it's the main character, and he's telling the story of how he was on a bus, and I think they were being stopped by, like, enemy forces, or they were trying to, like, avoid detection. And this woman had a chicken on her lap, and the chicken kept making noises, mm-hmm. and he kept telling this woman to shut the chicken up. Yeah. Like, shut the chicken up, shut the chicken up. Yeah, we're gonna die, bro. So he's telling the story to the psychiatrist who's interviewing him after the war, mm-hmm. and is, like, making sure he's okay and everything, and he's like, shut the chicken up, shut the chicken up, but at the end of the episode, you find out he had been repressing the memory of it wasn't a chicken, it was a woman's baby. Whoa. And she ended up killing her baby to make the baby quiet. And so he was so traumatized by that that he gave himself the false memory of it being a chicken. That's so now you can understand why the dad was crying. That's pretty uh, pretty deep. And uh, it was a hard episode to get through. Sure, Charlie can relate. I'm actually crying a little bit thinking about it. That is really sad. Really awful. So if you ever want to cry a lot, watch the last episode of MASH. Well, so Charlie gets his dad his dad this thing, and he's talking to his mom like, oh, do you remember when we watched this episode? Da, da, da. Of course, Candace has to be a jerk. She's like, yeah, she was there, Charlie. Duh. Okay, let's go. And his mom steps in for him, and she's like, hey, I know I've heard the story, but Charlie's going to talk. Let him talk. Yeah. And so he gets the gift for his dad, and they all go home, and everybody's getting ready uh, for Charlie's birthday dinner. Mm-hmm. And they're expecting their older brother to get home. But yeah. then their dad calls and is like, hey, because of the weather, the flight's delayed and, you know, we might not be able to come tonight. And right. his mom's obviously really disappointed because it's Charlie's birthday. Right? Yeah. And but so it's not like they can make the plane come any faster. Yeah. And poor Charlie. It's like, not only is your birthday on Christmas Eve, oh, but poor, you live in a place where it actually snows. <laughs> And you can't even be mad because, like, people are doing things with their lives. Yeah. It's Christmas time. And so he goes up to his room and he starts reading Catch on the Ride again because he's like, I can't think about anything else. And he starts having panic attacks again. And his mom is kind of, like, worried about him. But he's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just going to, you know, quietly go upstairs and we're just going to ignore it. And then his dad and his brother finally get home. Chris, we know that now. Chris, yes. We had to look up his name earlier because we couldn't remember. Because he always calls him his brother. Yeah. It's like, what's his name? Yeah. We know Candace's name. What's yeah. your brother? Yeah. So they're they're able to get back. I just put it together. Chris, Candace, Charlie. That's lame. All the C names. Lame. <laughs> and his brother's talking about his girlfriend and just like life at college, da 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 da. And it was like Early in the book, Charlie's kind of thinking about his older brother's girlfriend and, like, you know, how they might have met and, like, what they have in common and how they study together and how she drinks cocoa and how she's... And how she's unconventionally attractive. Yeah, and so... But his brother is like, no, she's a hot cheerleader. Yeah, she's hot, beautiful. Yeah, she's hot, hot. It was so funny, too, because Charlie's like, does she drink cocoa? Chris is like, are you high? What the heck are you talking about? And so this is when we really get a sense of Charlie's parents kind of bonding together is so they're driving to Ohio to see his dad's family and his brother and sister are arguing because Candace is making fun of Chris's girlfriend like, oh, you're dating a cheerleader. Ew. 
And he's like, she reads all these books and she's taking these classes. And she's like, oh, she sounds so smart. What your ditzy cheerleader. And then Chris turns around and it's like, well, at least she's not dating someone who would hit her. Mm. And Charlie's dad just like almost kills him in the car and is like, Rrr! and it gets like deadly serious and quiet and Chris is trying to like apologize. He's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, my dad's going to murder me. I'm so, so sorry. And so Charlie's dad is like, Charlie, you're going to drive the rest of the way. And he sits between Candace and Chris and it was just like deathly quiet the entire ride there. It's like, woof. Yeah, so. Y'all have some dysfunction. Yeah, so they end up getting to um, Charlie's dad's mom's house. Yes. Yes. Grandma. Grandma. They had grandma cookies too. Just as a side note, my family has these things we call grandma cookies. And I don't know. They were cookies made by your grandma. Yeah. It's just a family recipe. And Charlie has that too. And I was like, oh, we have that. It's cute. He's like cookie grandma and candy grandma. Yeah. It's adorable. Adorable. Yeah. But he's still kind of having, like, feelings, but he's like, you know, it's okay, I'm gonna get back, and then all my friends are gonna be back, and it's gonna be cool, and it's gonna be fine. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're coming up onto, like, the, the midsection of this book now, and, you know, everybody's getting back from holiday break, and we're, you know, we've delved into a lot of Charlie's family issues, and you kind of get a sense of, like, Charlie really has a lot of dysfunction, and all of this is left out of the movie. Oh, yeah. What is it? Even, um... What is it? His grandma, her second husband, yeah, beat her, and her brother found the guy and like killed him. him. And like four days later, he died. And they were like, Charlie's like, he didn't get arrested. And his dad was like, when like the whole neighborhood knows that this person's a piece of trash, the police don't need to be involved. Yeah. And then you find out like this is why Charlie's dad had to leave. Yeah. Because this is what his life would have been like. And so Charlie makes mention of like. Maybe if Aunt Helen had stayed in her hometown while she was dating these trash men who were hurting her, that she would have gotten that defense. But you leave and you live in unfamiliar towns and you don't have a small town to protect you. And it's just kind of sad because he he sits there and he puts everything into perspective in his own little world of like, this is what could have made it better for my Aunt Helen. And that's, that's a lot of the book is him kind of wondering how his aunt helen's life could have been better yeah and it's very sad yeah and then at this point in the book um he finally talks about like what makes his mom feel so guilty regarding his aunt helen and then he talks about how his aunt helen was molested yeah yeah so you finally officially find out that aunt helen once she was a little girl was molested and what's crazy is that it's, a, it's the same story that you hear all the time, where it was like a family friend, Yeah. she tells her parents, her parents don't believe her, and the family friend is still allowed to come around. Right. And so because of that, she dealt with a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, being in bad relationships, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of issues, and the mom feels, Charlie's mom feels a lot of extreme guilt, so they always go to visit her grave, and that crops up a lot in the book, too, where, where Charlie visits Aunt Helen's grave a lot. And they talk about what they like and remember about her. And, you know, they it's kind of like a bonding experience. that so the rest of his family is kind of over. Yeah. And so it's kind of like him and his mom's thing. And eventually it becomes only his thing. Yeah. Um, in this part, too, um, they talk about when he found out that his aunt had passed. And the reason why she got into an accident was because 
Since his birthday's on Christmas Eve, his aunt would always get him a Christmas present and a birthday present. Yeah, and so extra she, gift. Yeah, she had left to get him his birthday present. Yeah. Um, and she ended up getting into a car accident. Yeah. And so, understandably, you know that he blames himself. Like, why she got a second present for me. But at this point, like, that's what you think his trauma is. Like, yes. you think his trauma is the fact that he thinks it's his fault his Aunt Helen died. Mm-hmm. And so then we, you know, we continue the story and he's going on these different panic attacks, but he's trying to keep everything under control. And it, it just builds and builds the more, like, you hit the halfway point and then it starts to really roller coaster around for his emotions. And, you know, Sam and Patrick eventually get back from their holiday breaks and they're, you know opening up the social circle a lot more and he's starting to bond with a lot more members and eventually he starts dating Mary Elizabeth. He actually got his license too. Oh yeah, he got his license because he's like, oh, I can officially drive people and I don't have to have people drive me around anymore. So he's dating Mary Elizabeth and they start by going to a dance together. I think it was the Sadie Hawkins dance. It was the same in the book as the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she asks him to the Sadie Hawkins dance, and she's like, oh, it's, it's totally lame, but, like, go to the dance with me. And so he starts dating Mary Elizabeth, and this is where he's still, like, this passive person, but he's realizing how that's not good to be that way in a relationship, because he didn't realize that her asking him to the dance meant that he could say no later for a date, so he kept saying yes to her. She'd be like, oh, we can go out another time. He'd say, yes, of course. And I think a little bit before that, like, so it's just showing him more in their social circle and he's experiencing new things. At some point he tries LSD for the first time. Oh yeah. He like passes out in the snow, chopped off a bunch of his hair, was found by the police. Yeah. He didn't tell anybody that he was on drugs, but he's like, that's the last time I do LSD. It's kind of grandfathered in. It's like, oh, by the way, I did LSD. I did drugs. Also, while, Legitimate he, drugs. All, while he was tripping, I guess he was seeing things moving, but he also saw Sam having sex with her new boyfriend, boyfriend. who was out of high school. And so this whole book, like, he's been in love with Sam, so that what makes his dating Mary Elizabeth a little bit weirder is that he understands he's in love with Sam, mm-hmm. but Sam had told him from the very beginning, like, don't think of me in that way. And so him with Mary Elizabeth, he's basically trying to forget Sam. Yeah. And then so Sam is like super like hyped about it. She's like, I don't know why I've never thought about this. And he's asking her like, how do we be, be around her? And he, she's like, well, don't call her pretty. Tell her that like what she's wearing makes yeah. her look good because she doesn't want her choices. That. Yes. Or tell her, or just listen. Just listen to her talking. And so he literally does. He literally does not talk. And he just lets her talk on and on and on. And Mary Elizabeth really loves to talk. And so it's like him on the phone with her as soon as he gets home. And he's like, all I have to talk about is the bus ride. Nothing new happened. Yeah, like I walked home. Nothing nothing special. And she's like, here's all this music I'm exposing you to. She's more interested in teaching him things than in having actual conversations with him and he's like well Sam told me I just had to go along with it so I'm just going along with it yeah he she never asks him anything he literally gets home she calls him and she's talking so much he puts the phone down walks away comes back and she's still talking oh so at the Sadie Hawkins dance um 
can he sees his sister Candace having a fight with her secret boyfriend Derek. Oh yeah, yeah. And so she's really upset. He goes home. He finds that she's like super, super distraught. And this was a big part that was cut out of the movie. Yeah. And he's like, hey, what's wrong? And she's like, just leave me alone. And so then he's like, hey, do you want me to wake up mom and dad? And she's like, Charlie, just leave me alone. Okay. Yeah. Like just just leave it alone. And so then she finally admits that she's pregnant. Pregnant. With secret boyfriend Derek's baby. Which Derek did not believe it was his because mm-hmm. he's a scumbag. Yeah, which again, like, listen, we're in high school. If I was screwing someone else, you would totally know. There Fifteen people so would know before you knew. Gossip. Yeah. And so this is the turning point for Charlie and Candace's relationship. Mm-hmm. Is he's actually the one to drive her to her abortion appointment mm-hmm. and then sits with her while she kind of sleeps it off in the back. And then brings her home and, like, kind of takes care of her. What I loved, though, about this part was that, like, he had to leave because he was, like, having a freak out, right? Yeah. And so he's, like, chain-smoking cigarettes. And she comes out and she's like, Charlie, are you smoking? How dare you smoke, Charlie? He's like, yeah. She's like, um, like, I'm gonna tell him you. And he's like, no, you're not. (laughs) Like, do you know what I know about you? Homie, you just got an abortion. So that's what we call leverage, all right? And so they're just both cracking up laughing because it's like... She realizes how ridiculous it is Yeah, like to I'm, threaten him. Uh, okay, girl, come on. Come on. We both have made bad life decisions at this point. Yeah, but it's cute because she's like, you know what? I do love you and I wish you would stop smoking. Yeah, please stop. Yeah, For your like, health. Like, I love you too. And okay. And in this too, there's still like, there's more building of the bond between him and the teacher. And you see him and his bond with his sister. All the while, Mary Elizabeth is kind of in the background, and so he's juggling all of this. He's juggling basically faking being a boyfriend because he doesn't actually like Mary Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. He's trying to protect his sister's secret. You know, his teacher's kind of like bonding with him and trying to find things out. Mm -hmm. And during this point, too, he starts seeing his psychiatrist again. And his psychiatrist, these are where we get the seeds of that something darker has happened in his life where the psychiatrist starts focusing on his childhood and his Aunt Helen, and he's like, I don't know why he keeps asking me about this. He keeps asking me about my childhood. Like, I don't know what else to tell him. Yeah, like, my childhood was my childhood. Nothing bad happened. And so he's carrying on, and then we get to the party Mm -hmm. (laughs) where some truce come out about his his true feelings. So, yeah, Charlie's been worn thin with trying to, like, like... Keeping up appearances. This is so much on a 15-year-old's shoulders. Oh, yeah. He, and he already has so much, like... He was already messed up before all this. And now it's, like, <laughs> on top of this social expectations. And a big thing about Charlie is he really hates lying. Mm-hmm. He hates liars. He hates lying. He thinks it's despicable. So they're at a party at Bob's house, and they're playing Truth or Dare, which... Patrick loves to play. Yeah. Because Patrick is an agent of chaos. Yeah. But. I love Patrick. Charlie's like, okay, I've been doing dares all night because I don't want anyone to ask me anything that could hurt someone's feelings. As a side note, this part in the movie was really hilarious because. Yeah, that was great. That was like very Scrubs-ish. There's like a, a dream fake sequence where. Patrick asks Charlie in the movie, he's like, how's your relationship going as like a truth question? And Charlie's like, I dream about one of us getting cancer and dying so I don't have to break up with her. Yeah. 
something that doesn't happen. Yeah. So instead, Patrick's like, I dare you to kiss the prettiest person in the room. The prettiest girl. Prettiest girl. Because Patrick... I don't know if that happened in the book, but in the movie, Patrick was like, if I said person, you know it would be me, which is, even though it didn't happen in the book, it was a very Patrick-esque thing to yeah, say. Yeah, very, very amazing. So, Charlie then decides to kiss Sam. He's like, I'm gonna take this stance now. Oh, it was so bad because, so in the movie, he's sitting between Sam and Mary Elizabeth, so he just leans into Sam and kisses her. In the book, it's so much worse because Sam is, like, on the opposite end of the circle. Mm -hmm. He gets up and everybody goes quiet because Mary Elizabeth is sitting next to him. So he stands up, walks over to Sam, and kisses her. And then, of course, Patrick's like, well, that's awkward. Like, let's ease the tension. And it didn't help at all. And so, obviously, everybody's kind of up in arms. So Patrick takes... Charlie out and he's like you need to go yeah you need to leave there's a lot of like tension between Sam and Mary Elizabeth over guys you just made things worse again so you need to leave what's crazy too um is that like Mary Elizabeth presents herself in this way but then you get a a glimpse of her basically being like every other girl wanting to feel pretty and wanted and whatever she had asked him like hey do you think I'm pretty Charlie's like yes of course. And, and he's like, I remembered the way her voice sounded. So that makes it even worse that he's like, you're not even the prettiest person in this room. Also, Sam does have a boyfriend at this point. Mm-hmm. So it causes all this tension. So basically the entire group is just like, Charlie, you need to leave this all alone. Yeah. So Charlie... And this is causing Charlie to spiral out. Like, he's already dealing with so much. He's spiraling out. He has a moment in the hallway where he sees one of his old middle school friends who is friends with him and Michael. Mm -hmm. And he walks up to this friend and he's like, do you even think about him? And this girl, of course, is surrounded by all these other people. And they're like... Like, blood rushes from her face. (laughs) She looks like she's seen a ghost. Oh, because she dated Michael. Yeah. In the book, it's mentioned that this other friend dated Michael... And now she's trying to be popular in high school, so all the people who were around her was like, man, this dude's a freak. Yeah, this guy's freaking crazy. Why is he talking to you? And so Charlie's trying to cope, you know, he's like reaching out to Bob, trying to get some weed. (laughs) Charlie's like, you know, I never realized like how many stories Bob tells, but like after hearing them all, that's like all he says until he says something different, which is when we find out that Patrick and Brad had a pretty massive falling out. Because Patrick and Brad were hooking up and Brad's dad came home. Mm-hmm. Brad's dad is a very strong homophobe who went Eat the ever-living crap out of Brad. And it was horrible. And so there's a moment in the cafeteria where Brad decides to defend his stance and try to make himself feel macho and heterosexual and he calls Patrick the F word Mm -hmm. and Patrick just punches him and I'm like you know what at that point I don't even blame him so then his Brad's friends come in and try to beat the crap out of him too and then that's when Charlie comes in and he's like yeah no he he went gnarly yeah got a chair two people down scratching guys eyeballs out yeah and so pretty much Charlie was like to Brad, like, if you ever lay a hand on him again, 
I'll tell everyone. And if that's not enough, I'll rip your freaking eyes out. I will blind you. Yeah. And this is where the group starts accepting Charlie back. They're like, you know what? You defended Patrick. You saved his life, basically. Your heart's in the right place, but you really need to know the nuances of a social situation. (laughs) (laughs) Learn to read a room. Yeah, we can train you. Like, your heart's in the right place, but good lord, honey. No one lie. And so this starts Patrick going off and he kind of takes Charlie into this world with him of drinking and drugs and hooking up, hooking up, which Charlie never does. But Patrick takes him to a park where, you know, the homosexuals of the town go to kind of like hook up with each other. You know, it's crazy. I worked at somewhere and this guy that worked there, he was gay. And there was, I guess, Balboa Park in, in San Diego Yeah, was that back in the 90s, and he was talking about how that was like, and I was just like, that is so crazy to think that, like, there's this whole secret way for gay people to 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 be with people of their own kind. Like, when they have could, to hide themselves. Yeah, we could just be, go in a bar, and that's fine. Yeah. But, like, you know, that just put a different spin on Bubba Park. Especially when, you know, in the book, Patrick's a minor. Yeah. Like, he can't go to a gay bar he is kind of limited by the people at high school who are all very homophobic. And so he has to go do these kind of secret illicit things. What's so depressing too, is that Charlie's like, you know, at the beginning of the night, he feels like Patrick feels like anything is possible by the end of the night. He's depressed. It's just, God, it's so sad. It's just mindless sex. Yeah. But a funny thing happens. (laughs) So Charlie's in the park waiting for Patrick. Yeah. Patrick's like, you're good. Like, I'll get you a coffee if you need it, whatever. So he goes, slithers into a bush, I guess. And so Charlie's on a bench, just chilling. And this guy comes up. And Charlie's like, I recognize this guy's voice. And so... It's a sports newscaster. God, it's it's so crazy. Because then the guy starts talking about sports, starts talking about Charlie's brother's team. And that's when he realizes, like, this guy's a local news person. So Charlie's like, what's it like being on TV? And then this guy's like, nope, <laughs> slithers as far away as possible. Like, dude, if we're doing illicit things, don't talk about where you know me from. Yeah. That's the first rule of gay park club. Don't talk about where you know me. <laughs> don't do it. And so this leads to kind of a humorous scene where Charlie's talking to his family and he's like, oh, yeah, I met the newscaster and they mentioned Chris. And their family's like, oh, where'd you see him? And he's like, um. In the park? In the park. You didn't bother him, did you? I bet he was with his family. I hope you didn't bother him. And he was like, um. And so he just kind of like fumbles his way through it. And he's like, oh, no, yep, he just brought a brother. And that was it. Okay, bye. Conversation over. Yeah, while Patrick's still doing all of his park stuff, the thing that kind of ends his spiral is when he sees that Brad's there with someone else. As well. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're driving away. He throws his bottle of alcohol out the window, and that was it. And through this, another part that, like, you kind of see how passive Charlie is, is that at the end of every night, Patrick had been kissing Charlie in kind of this romantic way, and Charlie was like, it's what he needs right now. So this is another hint that he kind of just, like, he's gotten to a point in his life where he accepts things that happen to him without realizing kind of the ulterior motives or, like, the other meaning to what's happening. See, for what he feels and what it means for him doesn't matter. 
Right. Except this other person obviously needs it. seems to need it. Right. Which is like, God, that's so sad. And so this is more, I mean, obviously it's not fully innocent, but it's more of an innocent interaction than when yeah. we find out what actually happened to him as a child, where people do things to him to heal themselves and he just accepts it because he's much more interested in helping other people than helping himself. Like, even if it hurts him, it's fine because he wants to make sure that his friends are okay. Yeah. Which I think is so sad. Yeah. And it's, like, really caring, but geez. And we also have a scene where he gets invited to a dinner at his teacher's house, Bill. And this is where it really sinks in for the reader how smart Charlie is, where the teacher is like, you don't realize how smart you are. Like, you're really intelligent. Yeah, he's like, it's been an absolute pleasure teaching you. Yeah. And he's like, huh, I'm smart. <laughs> he just like... Yeah, like, not special in the bad way that everybody talks about me. Yeah. Like, special in, like, a holy crap, you're a freaking genius special. Yeah. And so he has this, like, bonding moment with his teacher, and I think, too, that it plays more into Charlie's personality that we don't dive into in the movie because in the movie, this never happens. In the movie, the teacher only has like three scenes. Seriously. It's just like, Hey, this is my favorite book. Hey, here's another book. But this is now where it's kind of all snowballing. Like all this stuff is kind of happening to Charlie. And then finally we get towards the end of the book. And the big thing is that everybody, all his friends are seniors. He's a freshman. So all of them are graduating. All of them are starting to leave and to plan, you know, where they're going to college. And they're all full of hope. And we have, like, prom that happens where we find out that <laughs> stupid Sam's boyfriend, Craig, who is a, a full adult, full adult, full adult, mind you, has been cheating on her the entire time. We also find out that Mary Elizabeth, has moved on and is now dating one of Craig's friends. Yeah. Who, even though it may be still statutory rape, he seems to be a stand-up guy. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, bro, you need to tell Sam or I will. So it all comes to a head and Sam is getting ready now to leave for college and she's discussing with Charlie. She kind of takes Charlie into her room and she was like, can't believe he was cheating on me. And they're kind of having like this intimate moment. And she's like, look, why didn't you ever make a move on me? And he was like, you told me you didn't want that. And he's like, I, I was more concerned about your happiness. And Sam's like, I can't feel that. Yeah. And she, she teaches him the lesson of basically you need to stop putting other people ahead of you. She was like, I told you that nine months ago. I also gave you really bad advice about Mary Elizabeth. And this yeah. is where you get the sense that Charlie doesn't read nuance. No, it's like, you tell me something as fact, I'm going to take it as fact. Not yeah. as a case-by-case -case basis from right. person to person. Right. And it's interesting because his teacher had given him a book to read, and one of the quotes was, I would die for you, but I won't live for you. And that's kind of basically what Sam is telling him right now. It's like, you can die for people, but don't live for them. Don't, right. don't put yourself in situations that benefit them and not you. What yeah. are you getting out of it? How are we supposed to know how you feel? Yeah. And so this is where things come to a head is they, they have this moment of truth and he realizes that he has been putting everyone ahead of himself and they fall into kind of a, a intimate moment 
and they're they're making out and they're kind of going a little bit further and she starts you know feeling him up a bit and he freaks out he he's like I don't want to do this anymore and she was like oh, okay you know she backs off because she's a good person who understands boundaries but he's like I don't know where that came from I wasn't saying that to her yeah because he was freaking out and she's you know trying to get him to like calm down fall asleep something and he's yeah. like I can't do this I, I can't do this I can't do this and he's like I wasn't even talking to her. Yeah. And so at this point, you're realizing that there's something darker in Charlie's past. And oh God, he kind of has like his brain fully breaks at this point in the book. He's freaking out. Yeah. He falls asleep. And that's when he has a dream of a repressed memory. Right. Of basically when he was a child and his aunt was molesting him while yeah. his siblings were there. Yeah. Like asleep, I guess. And so when he wakes up, He's like, it becomes more apparent that like, oh shit, I don't know if that was just a dream. It, I think it might have been real. Yeah. And so he kind of has like a full mental breakdown as all these repressed memories just start washing over him. He winds back up in the hospital and he talks about how the psychiatrist finally gets the root of everything. He finally comes to reality and realizes what happened to him as a kid that his aunt Helen, this woman through the whole book who he's been talking about how much he loved her and how much she was such a great aunt. She had been abusing him for so long and his parents finally learn the truth and they're overridden with guilt and his siblings are like so angry for him, but there's no one to take that anger out because aunt Helen's already gone. That's what's so heartbreaking, yeah. right? There's no one for you to get your revenge on. There's nothing else for you to do, but deal with it. Yeah. And at this point, Sam and Patrick and all his friends have gone off to college. But while he's in the hospital, they've been writing him and they come to visit him. And it's kind of this like piece that he gets a little bit of odd closure where he's like, finally, all his repressed memories are out. He's healing. He's growing. And his friends still love him and they still accept who he is. And that's kind of how the book closes with the, you know, popular line of we are infinite yeah so he ends the like last letter that he uh he wrote to this this dear friend basically like hey like i overheard someone talking about you and about how you didn't do like bad things to to some girl and it sounded like you were a type of person that i could talk to about this stuff and i don't want you to worry about me anymore things yeah. are fine i know my last letter was kind of crazy but things are fine now you know, you probably won't hear from me in a while, but, you know, I just want to let you know everything's fine. Yeah. Love Charlie, whatever. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's not a very long book. It's pretty short in terms of, you know, books, obviously. Mm -hmm. But there is so much emotion that is just packed in this novel. But, um... What did you think about it? You asked me about what I thought in the beginning, but I never <laughs> asked you what you think about it. I really enjoyed the book. I do think there are some parts that, like, just my high school experience, I can't relate to that because it's not what I went through sure. in high school. But I think, like, college me can relate because there are some overlapping incidents that, that just happen, you know? Mm -hmm. That, like, you, you go through bad and good times in different aspects of your life. But I think the writer did a really good job of kind of addressing everything in this way that this character needed to uncover all the darkness to move past it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's kind of scary. It made me cry in the middle of work. I was reading it at work and I cried. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think that, like, 
what if he didn't have this teacher giving him these books and what right. if he didn't make those friends? Right. How long would it have been until he had that, like, ah! Like, it's kind like, of... Like, think that he had people around him to be like, you know, let me support you. So, so how do you think the movie, you know, fit with the book? Well, I mean, I think it kind of, it hinted at all the necessary parts, but it didn't really get into, like, the nitty-gritty. Deep, nuanced, familial issues that definitely help push his, like, issues. Right forward yeah you know what I mean like like both of his parents families his sister's dynamic just everything kind of culminates I think I definitely think of it and as much as the movie was made for teenagers sure the book was written about teenagers yeah that's true yeah yeah, yeah. this is like what's scary to think is like this story isn't an original one there, there, there are so many people that have this. This thing has probably happened to. Right. So yeah, this was about teenagers, about teenagers that have lived this life instead of like, hey, here's some story that could be true, could not be true. Take a look. And I mean, not everybody is, you know. I'm super intelligent and gifted. Yeah. So I think that was. A no, but funny there, part. there has to be some part of this that you, you would get. Like even the friend from. Um, from his middle school, Susan, who yeah. is, like, pretending to be someone else. That was me in college. I pretended, like, I was way cooler than I what I was. And honestly, like, that was so hard for me. Yeah. To be, like, I don't care that I have a class on Monday and I'm not doing my homework because I'm here at a party with all of my friends. I'm not freaking out at all. <laughs> like, it is, it's so, so hard. To try to be, like... And I was an adult. Yeah. Okay, so... I can totally relate. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like if I had read this book in high school, I would not have related to as much as I relate oh, to no. us. I'd be like, um, literally. My high school life was super boring. Uh, my whole week was rereading the Harry Potter books. Can't relate, Charlie. Sorry. <laughs> LSD? What's that stand for? I don't know. Right? Of, like, drugs? What? Yeah. Excuse me. I heard of, like, kids in high school who would smoke pot, and I was like, the scandal! I didn't even know how underage people got... Thank beer. you. I didn't I know people that. to buy me beer. That's how uncool I was. I wouldn't even try. My only alcoholic experience in high school was I had gone to a friend's house and her parents... That was my house and it was crappy champagne, right? No, no, no. That Because okay. that was with your parents' permission. Okay. okay. No, no. This was at another friend's house where we were having a sleepover. Her parents were at home and they had um, sake. Oh, sake is pretty freaking strong. But we didn't even have, like, actual shots of sake. We literally just had a bottle cap each. Okay, I mean, that's, I think that's enough. And it was, like, a sip, and I thought it was gross. And then we just did that annoying thing where high schoolers who are really, really innocent, like I was, pretended to be drunk. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so wasted. You know what me and my brother No, do? you had a sip. Actually, you know what? I take that back. It wasn't even sake. It was rice wine. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. It was a sip of wine, basically, is the... That was my only alcoholic experience in high school. So I can't even relate to drinking parties. Me and my brother, whenever we would have to clean the house, my mom had, like, a collection of shot glasses. And so, at the time, Kool-Aid had, like, this thing where they had, like... It was, like, clear Kool-Aid. You remember that? 
where it was clear, and so we would pour some and pretend to take shots like it was vodka. I like if, if you're listening, mom. That's what we did when you weren't home. We would pretend to just be like, "What's it like?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or even with sweet tea. Like, ooh, whoa, whiskey, whoa. It's not. It's, it's tea. It's Kool-Aid, okay? That's what I was doing in high school. The first time I legitimately had alcohol was like two months before my 21st birthday. And even that, I was so scared. I'm like, you're 20. <laughs> it's fine. Listen, uh, as far as like the existential thoughts, 100%. And that's even sadder, right? Nothing... To that extent of what happened to Charlie happened no. to me. And I'm still, like, so far up my own butt thinking about stuff like that. They portray him, you know, he's the quiet, he's the wallflower, he doesn't have a lot of friends, and I'm like... It's like, do you want him to talk about all this stuff that he's gone through? Because he would never have any friends. My thing is, like, I was also very quiet, you know, after the sophomore year, I didn't really have a lot of friends in high school. And I'm just like, okay, I still didn't get invited to any parties. Even, like... The, the nerdy parties. No. You know what? I went home and I ate cheesecake by myself maybe while I watched MTV. That's like a thing. I don't know. Maybe. And I thought MTV was the height of being cool. Was the fact that I finally got a TV in my bedroom and I could watch MTV. I think maybe it's because it's from a guy's perspective. I feel like it's easier for guys to assimilate. Unfortunately, as much as we'd like to think that society is, like, above appearances, if you're ugly and you're a chick that someone doesn't want to bone, I guess, they're not going to give you time today. That's what happened. You're not going to get invited to a party. In high school. Like, my dad would always be like, you're not ready to go to the dance. And so then when I was finally ready to go to homecoming, whatever that means, my dad's like, hey, if you don't want to dance with someone, you don't have to. And I'm thinking to myself. Nobody's going to ask me. Literally, I would pay someone to look me in my eyes. And not threw me to the wall behind me, okay? You have nothing to worry about, I promise you. My takeaway from this whole thing is that my high school experience and Charlie's high school experience... Dude, he had a lifetime lifetime experiences in one year. Like, how do you go up from there? Okay, do you chop off your arm? Like, what? I am very happy that didn't happen to me because little 14-year-old me would not have been able to handle any of that. No, 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 no. I remember being that age thinking, like, okay, when I'm 23, I'm gonna be married, I'm gonna have kids. Yeah, no. 23 is when I had all these experiences. (laughs) But I, I, aside from that, I can, I can identify with, like, identity issues, not knowing where you should stand as far as, like... Being a woman, that's that sucks. Candace's thing, I was just like, as much as you're kind of a jerk to your brother, you can't even blame her. Yeah. She's dealing with a lot. Yeah. And then she was like keeping her crap up in school too. And you know what? She would have been valedictorian if she didn't have to deal with that pregnancy scare. Yeah. That's what her, her that's what Charlie said, which is like, no one would ever know that. Yeah. But them. Yeah. That sucks. I do like how they kind of glossed over that though, where it's like, okay, where did you get the money for this? I don't know if it was Planned Parenthood. It probably wasn't that expensive. Hmm. Don't want to go into how I know that, so. (laughs) 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 I'm just saying, like, it seemed like it was very, very easy. No, though, if you have insurance, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Still. I mean, she wasn't super far along, so it wasn't like. Oh, that's true. She probably just took the pill. Hospitalization situation. yeah. Yeah. So, but. Either way. Still. 
feel bad for Candace, but yeah, I'm glad Charlie was able to work out his stuff, and I don't know, it was like the whole time reading the book, I was on edge, because I was just like, oh god, it's gonna get to that point where he's just gonna, it starts to get to the point where his, like, freakouts are getting closer together, where you know, yeah. like, okay, he's gonna start understanding some stuff. And you, you definitely, you know, get to that point of being like, oh my gosh, stuff is coming out. This, You you feel that, like, protective, like, I just want to go and hug him. You know what's crazy? When I feel like that, I'm binging YouTube or Netflix or something. This boy in the 90s had to read a book. That sucks. <laughs> At least I can lose myself in things that are so stupid, like How I Met Your Mother or The Office. I'm just going to rewatch The Office for the 80th time. I, I'm going to watch something that I know... Like, I know the outcome of. And if I can't watch something, you know... Just I, sleep. I do listen to the Office Then podcast, oh, Office yeah. Ladies. Love that podcast. And I just re-listen to that over and over and over. Ever since they took the Office off Netflix, that's what I've been doing. Okay, so how would you rate this book? Um, this book is nine mental breakdowns out of ten mental breakdowns. Yeah. Because it was really good, mm-hmm. really sad... But I definitely could not read it all the time because it would break my little heart over and over. Oh, over. yeah. I definitely would rate this nine wallflowers out of ten wallflowers. <laughs> and it's, it's, part the wallflowers. Of, it's part of the same thing, too. I just, yeah, it just it just connects on so many levels with so many different people in so many different situations. The one oh, thing definitely. I didn't like, though, and this has nothing to do with the book, but on the back of the book, someone like compared it to Catherine the Rye, and I'm like, no. no. Yeah, the back of my copy, it went into, like, MTV, and I'm like... Yeah, like, uh, Holden was a major narcissist. Charlie, what's the complete opposite of a narcissist, right? right. Like, he's like... He let someone empath. kiss him because they needed it. Yeah. Right? Like, so completely different, different things here. Don't, like, don't compare it. The the comparison would come to that they're both coming-of-age stories. Yeah, that's literally where we leave it at. Yeah. And at that point, so is Harry Potter. So They're both relatively easy. You can read it in a day book. The thing is, though, again, we talked about this before. Yeah. Holden was responsible for everything that happened to him. Right. Charlie, things happened to him. And he's like, I don't understand how I got here. And it's like... You don't know either because he doesn't know. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was it was a great book. All right. So that concludes this month's episode of Novel Idea. Where Podcast. we went over the perks of wallflower, perks of being a wallflower. Ooh, so I definitely, definitely recommend at any age. If you were a teenager, you're going to understand what the heck is going on. Yeah. And next month's book, we're going to be reading Molokai by Alan Bernert. Bernert. Alan Bernert. Okay. And until then, you can go to novelidea.com, where we have all our social media. If you'd like to catch up with us there, comments, questions, I don't know, anything. Yeah, tell us how we're doing. Tell us what we're not doing. Yell at us. Praise us. Anything. Please don't yell at me. I will cry. I'm sensitive. If it's like constructive (laughs) yelling, maybe, yeah. Constructive criticism, not yeah. constructive yelling. Yeah, and also, you know, I try not to cuss because my mom asked me not to, so. Yeah, my dad asked us to cut back on cussing, Yeah, too. so I only think I slipped twice. Yeah, so uh, thank you. You're welcome, parents, Daisy. for listening. Yeah. Also, my dad 
you know, he was the one who sent me my new microphone, which I've been able to successfully use once. Yeah, your audio sounded fantastic. <laughs> and it, it hasn't sounded that great since. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully next month I will get that fully up and running. Thank you, Father Dearest, for sending me that microphone. I promise starting next month it will be a consistent use of that swanky mic. Yeah. But uh, until then, um, hope you enjoy the episode. Again, follow us, novelidea.com. We'll send you to all our social media, which literally have like three pictures, but follow us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Woo!